Hello and welcome back for another episode of The Advantage. I am your host, Michael Fiddle, and instead of doing a formal opening, I'm going to be doing a formal closing on this episode. We're shaking things up a bit. So before I just cut to the meat of the episode, let me quickly explain why we're going a bit out of order today. This episode is a sort of podcast game show about betting terminology. I brought in two of my friends, Chris and Rachel, who are big sports fans but are not active bettors and are new to the betting game. I realized they are certainly not alone. And although I've been betting for years and can speak the lingo with other bettors who have been around the block, there's all this new legislation and new people entering the betting markets that I thought it would be wise to take some time and drop an episode centered around some of the key words in the betting world. So the bulk of the episode today is about defining keywords, using them in examples, and explaining some of the betting theory logic around the meaning of the word. I really hope this is helpful. After the segment with Rachel and Chris, I'm going to take five minutes or so to do a formal closing explaining some of the principles of bankroll management. The reason why this is going to come after is simply because it will make a lot more sense if you know what all the words mean. So if you feel like you already know all these words and you don't need to hear them, but are interested in the bankroll management lessons, skip ahead and listen to like the last 10 minutes of this episode. Otherwise, like I said, I really hope this information helps a bit. There are certainly some funny moments, and we definitely had a good time recording it and hearing what they think a sharp is was just too good. I also thought this was the perfect timing to put out an episode like this. There's not much I'm actively betting in the NBA right now, since the motivation for all these teams is so unclear. You don't know if teams want to play for playoff seeding, rest guys for health reasons, or tank for better lottery odds. So there are certainly things I'm watching as I prepare for the playoffs, but very few active bets that I'm making, and therefore I figured perfect time to do an episode that is a bit more explanatory than the previous ones. Lastly, please rate, review, and subscribe to the pod on whatever platform you are listening. I really stink at remembering to plug stuff, so there's actually a few breaks in this episode, and I'm going to insert a mini plug for myself to promote the ways in which you can find me. Okay, I hope you enjoy. Here's my convo with Rachel and Chris. All right, welcome back. I'm now joined by two guests. This is the first time we've ever had a multi-party Zoom session, FaceTime session, whatever you want to call this platform that we're on. I'm joined by Rachel and Chris for our first ever game show about betting terminology. Thank you both for being here. Thanks for having us. Happy to be here. So Rachel is my high school friend. Chris is Rachel's boyfriend. And um, me and Rachel were going to start a podcast together a few months ago about a different subject. And since I've kind of shifted gears, she's very important for me to have on the pod because she's a great podcast guest. And even though this is in her domain, she definitely is a sports fan. And she has been keeping up with the advantage in all the episodes and sending me questions like, what does this mean? I'm trying to understand this. Um, so this is kind of an ode to people who are listening and following along and are very introductory to the betting space to break down some of the keywords that I've been using and kind of put a definition on them. We're going to try and do this a little bit in a fun way. So what I did was I sent Rachel and Chris a list of 10 or 11 words and I said, no looking anything up um, and nothing along the lines of, oh, I don't know. 
the rules were take these 10 words, print out the list, go sit in a place without any internet, and write down both a definition and try and use it in a sentence that relates to betting, of course. So we're going to play this game. We're going to go through the words. We're going to ask the audience what they've come up with. And uh, hopefully they get some right answers, maybe some funny outlandish things about what these words mean. And then I will happily redirect them to what the actual terminology is. You guys don't know this right now, Chris and Rachel, but you guys are playing for a dinner date. And the loser is going to be buying the winner a dinner here. <laughs> and um, it could be a McDonald's. It doesn't have to be a five-star Michelin restaurant. You can take him or her to Wendy's, depending on the winner. Um, but, uh, yeah, so what we're going to do is two points for the correct definition and one point for using it correctly in a sentence. Sound good? Sounds good. Cool. Yep. All right, let's start with a softball. I'm going to pitch this one to Rachel first. Rachel, do you know what the term underdog means? This is the only one I think I actually know. So, except for the other one that you taught me based on my questions earlier from my other podcast listenings. But an underdog is the team or competitor that is not expected to win. But if you do bet on them, odds are your winnings will be big because most people are betting for the other team. I'll take it. Chris, you you agree with that? Did you have something else you wanted to add? Do you have a different definition? Uh, no, I just said the person expected to lose, so she she elaborated further than I had. Yeah, you you, you know the female energy here is, tends to be more positive. It's the <laughs> team not expected to lose. You know, me and Chris are like it's the one that's going to lose. Um, so two points each, two points each to start off. Um, actually three points because you both used it in a sentence too I mean I don't need to ask you the underdog is the team that's expected to lose would be using it properly in a sentence yes the second word on the list is over under Chris I'm going to pass that one to you what's the definition of over under okay uh, my expectation for it is the point spread between two teams at the end of a match so your over under is uh if you're talking football and there's a seven point difference between the two if you took the over you'd expect for one team to score higher than what that seven point spread would be uh where the under would be less than seven point spread am i right slightly incorrect we're going to pass this one to rachel for the steal Rachel, what is your definition for an over-under? Well, the only reason it's a steal is because you already explained this to me. It's all right. It wasn't on this podcast. So, so if you came prepared with knowledge that you've already learned, it works. That's fair. That's fair. I will take it. So, for example, last night's game, Duke was under four points. Although I was rooting for Duke and you were rooting for UNC and you got the victory. We're fine with that. But Duke was negative four which means if you use the points over under to bet in a range, if you needed Duke to be negative four, then they would really need to score four more points in order for you to cover the spread in your bet. I think. I hear you. What you guys are both talking about is actually called the point spread. Darn it. The over under. So in every, pretty much in every game, you can either bet the spread or the total, and the total is often considered the over-under. So let's use Chris's example of a football game. So if a football game were to end 24-17, to 17, 
you add up 24 plus 17, the over-under for that game would be 41 because the over-under indicates the amount of total points scored by both teams in the entire game. Ah. So if this were a basketball game like Duke and UNC, last night the Duke-UNC, I was on the under, which was 152 and a half was the over-under line. That meant, you know, I think it ended with like 80 to 75. So if you add 80 and 75, you have 155. I ended up losing that bet on the under because it went over 152.5. Does that make sense? It does. Yep. Okay, and in bet... I must have confused something else. (laughs) And in betting, uh, the, the thing that we're often trying to do is take what's going to win more often, right? That's the ultimate goal, to be on the right side. I am someone who always is betting unders. If you compare the amount of unders versus overs that I bet, I probably play about 90% to the under because generally the betting public likes to play the over because they're watching along and they think more points is more fun. So they bet overs. The over line tends to be inflated a little bit and therefore, under is generally a better bet. If you were to bet only unders forever, you'd probably hit about 51% of your bets, whereas overs would hit 49. Of course, neither of these would be smart ideas because we discussed on a previous episode, you need to hit 52.4% of your total bets to be profitable. So even if you're winning more than you're losing by betting unders, you're not winning enough to be profitable. Does that make sense, guys, from just a, as I back it out and explain all this, how it works in betting? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So we're still tied at 3-3. Three, three. Uh, we each have a little one strike, swing and a miss on that over-under. Let's go back to Rachel. The third word that we're going to use is called futures. Rachel, what's a futures bet? I mean, I'm going to nerd out for a second, and the only thing I can think of is related to the stock market and betting on something at a future point. So I'm not entirely sure. Okay, you're like halfway there. Do you want to try using it in a sentence or should we bring in Chris to try and define or use this in a sentence? I'll give it over to him. Chris, do you agree, disagree? Do you want to change how we use the term futures bet? Do you want to give us an example of what a futures bet might look like? I think she was going on the right track, which I was not. I said, who's inspect, who's expected to improve throughout a season? Like, if you have a, a, a horrible uh, win-loss record towards the first 10 games of the season and then improve throughout, like, what the future looks like, I guess you could bet against that also. But that was the direction my mind was headed. Uh, I, I kind of am leaning more towards Rachel's answer as far as uh, what the stock market... Uh, reference would would look like i would agree it's more in line with the stock market reference yeah so let's give rachel one point for getting close to the definition chris what you're talking about is a betting trend so to give an example for that uh about two weeks ago i broke down how the future of the indiana pacers schedule you see i'm using the word future to describe a trend i broke down how the future of the indiana pacers schedule showed me I'm expecting this team to lose a lot. And therefore, I was betting every game for them to lose. Now, since I've said that, they've lost six and they've won zero. So I'm doing really well in that regard. 
hat tip to me. Um, but what a futures bet actually is, is you're betting on a very long shot proposition of something way out in the future. So if we're betting right now on April 3rd, 2022, who's going to win the Super Bowl for next season? So now we're looking to the February of 2023 Super Bowl. We haven't even played a single NFL game. We haven't even seen the schedules yet. Um, and you can right now bet if the Kansas City Chiefs are going to win the Super Bowl or if the Tampa Bay Bucks are going to win the Super Bowl. And those bets, because they're such long shots, they have crazy, crazy odds. So one bet that I've already put in as a futures bet I've already bet on the Philadelphia Eagles to win the Super Bowl at 40 to 1 odds. So that means for every $1 that I put in, I could get 40 back if the Philadelphia Eagles actually win the Super Bowl. So if I put $5, I would return 200 if the Philadelphia Eagles ended up winning. And the reason I'm doing that and I'm getting these odds is because I'm placing a futures bet so far out that I get the advantage of so much unknown working to my advantage, that therefore I get extreme long shot odds. So if I think the odds that the Philadelphia Eagles are even going to make the playoffs is like a 50-50 you know, chance, then they just have to win four games to win the Super Bowl, which is a lot more likely than a 40 to 1 proposition. So I saw value in that line saying, I think it's better to have 40 to 1 chance. There's also not even 40 teams in the NFL. So clearly they have a better than they have a one in 32 chance because there's 32 teams if you want to look at it that arbitrary or like that straightforward so at 40 to 1 i was getting enough value in a futures bet that i made the bet even this early in april does that make Can sense guys do you question? now know what a futures bet is yeah yes so question though yep. did you place that bet before or after brady came back that bet was placed after Brady came back, um, which probably skewed the odds because the Tampa Bay Bucks became the most favorite team to win the Super Bowl. And they also played against the Eagles and crushed them last year in the playoffs. So I'm sure the Eagles took a little bit of a hit because the team that just crushed them and is also in their conference, who's now expected to be better than them, came in at a higher chance to win making the Eagles a slightly lower chance. So I got probably a better value after Brady came back. That makes sense. Okay. So what do we got? We gave, we gave one point to Rachel there. So we're going four, three, Rachel through three words. I'm feeling a nice Burger King Saturday afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> How did you know? All right. <laughs> it's, my, it's my favorite place. So um, the fourth word that we're going to use is the word unit and I put in parentheses one unit or multiple units let's throw this one to Chris first Chris what's a unit in betting my definition is uh, an individual bet that's placed or a series of bets made together can you try and elaborate a little bit on how would you use unit in a sentence to explain that because it's pretty close okay uh an individual unit would be a single bet that you're making to say on one game that the tampa bay buccaneers are going to win a series of bets would be to say that 
uh, in the next three weeks in their NFL season, which I get we're not in season right now, since we just mentioned that, but uh, would be, you know, they're going to win one, lose one, win, win the third one would be a series of units. Rachel, do you have anything to add, differentiate? Uh, how would you explain the term unit or multiple units in betting? So I put it in dollar terms based on like how many bets you're placing. So if it's, for example, $2 a unit and you want to bet $20, you're betting 10 units. And I'm not sure what an actual unit like consists of, but it makes me think more of like the boxes for March Madness when you like pick how many boxes you bet on as those being units. Okay. Close. Rachel, when you explain a unit might be $2, so $20 would be 10 units. That part is spot on. Chris, as you described, one individual bet might be one unit. That's also spot on. Here's the correct definition of unit. The word unit in betting is a basically a currency or um, a way to make things equal between two different bettors. So say I have $10,000 in my bankroll that I'm betting, and I'm betting $1,000 on a game and Rachel has $100 and she's betting $5 on a game, I might say to Rachel, hey, I have two units on Duke tonight. And Rachel goes, oh, that means Rachel's going to bet $10 and I'm going to bet 2000 So it is a basic way for two different bettors to talk about having the same amount of exposure on a game because a unit correlates to a percentage of your account and that percentage of your account is generally the amount size that you would choose for one bet. So for me as a better, my unit size is 1.25% of my total account. So if I have $500 in my account, I'm betting around $6 as my unit size. So if I say, "Hey, I'm playing this for th- I'm playing this one game." See, Chris, this is where your definition started to skew off a little bit. I could play just one game for three units, and that means, hey, I'm on this for $18. But what it really means is, hey, I'm on this for 3.75% of my total account. So anyone who's in the realm and is betting can go to their bankroll, calculate how much 3.75 is, and we have the same amount of exposure because we both have three units on the game. That make sense? Yes. I was way off. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't say it was way off. You were you're, you started right when you're saying it's the individual amount for one bet. Um, but it's basically a way for bettors to talk. Uh, often, if you're on Twitter or if you're on a like a, I post my bets on Wager Pass through Sports Ethos. I will be plugging that some point during the breaks of this episode. Exactly how to get there and how to get access to every bet that I'm making. But again, when I'm on, when I'm submitting my picks, I'm letting you guys know, hey, I'm playing one unit here, I'm playing half a unit here, I'm playing two units over here, and that way it's pretty much signaling I feel best about the game with two units, I feel pretty good about the game with one unit, and I feel good enough to bet but not totally sure about the game with half a unit. Um, for example, I'm not a college basketball guy whatsoever but I knew I was going to be watching the games and talking about it with friends and family and so on about the Duke-UNC last night. So I put one quarter of one unit. So literally, like, a quarter of a percent of my total account. 
that means if I had for every $100, I was betting like 25 cents on the game. So very, very little exposure. It was kind of just an en entertainment tax is what I sometimes call that when you go for quarter units when you're just going to watch a game. Um, I think, Rachel, you're probably a little bit closer on the definition and using this in a sentence. So I'm going to give you one point here, and we're going to go 5-3, Rachel, after one, two, three, <laughs> four words. That's fair. Dinner's well, on the next video. word is yours, so good luck. Okay. Can you guys hear me? We're good. Mm-hmm. All right. Little technical difficulties. We are back. Five to three, Rachel. After, I think, four words so far, we're going on to our fifth word. It's back to Rachel, and the word is sharp. S-H-A-R-P. Rachel, who is a sharp in the betting game? Oh, well, that changes everything. I, right? I actually just, I, I just said, I just sent sharp. <laughs> All right, give us what you have. Let's see. This might be really funny. Well, I was going to say, like, it feels like it was a sharp bet if it was on point. Like, hey. Like, you nailed that good one. Good job. Yeah, you, you bet sharp. I don't think that makes sense in a sentence, but it could be a thing. But the way you just phrased it would either be someone who does really well betting or like someone like Brady that you would want to bet on because he's like a sharp pick because Cause he's the goat. Yeah, he's like a sure thing almost. Chris, what did you have for sharp? Man, so we had it just the word without the context, and I I defined it as an easy call to make uh, and use it in the sentence of Tom Brady beating a rookie quarterback in their first game would be a sharp bet. That would be a pretty seamless bet. or or Yeah, I, I would agree. Um, sharp in a basic context of English and the way we know that word would make a lot of sense in that regard. But in the betting world, the sharps or a sharp is a big better, a frequent better, generally a good better, not always a professional gambler, but someone who always is betting with big money and coming into the space early. Um, so the sharps are generally people who move a betting line. And let me explain this a bit. When a betting line opens, let's use this Tampa Bay Bucks, Philadelphia Eagles example that we used prior. We know Brady's on the Bucks, and therefore they're likely the better team. Uh, so if a betting line comes out, uh, it's going to be like the Bucks to win by seven. Again, that's the point spread. Say that the Sharps, generally, these are now we're talking about assume the people who really know what they're doing and who really know who bet big bucks and who bet every single week come in and they see that line and they're like wow we like philadelphia you know eyes are beaming they're like oh oh they're playing in philadelphia this time you know the bucks were on a short week last week and they were playing you know in california so they had to travel it was a time zone issue and then they had to go to the south and then up north to philadelphia I'm thinking that the travel schedule is going to really hinder the Bucks, so I want to bet on Philadelphia to, wi to win or lose by less than a touchdown. I want the plus seven. So that might be the sharp angle on a game. So that line generally opens, and the sharps start pounding the line and putting generally the max amount of money you can put on one side, and they bet it through multiple sports books. So you might go on FanDuel, and FanDuel might only allow you to put $10,000 down. So they'll do 10000 on FanDuel, 
and another 10,000 on DraftKings, and another 10,000 on Caesars, and another 10,000 on Bovada, and I could keep going, and they will have 50,000, 100,000, 250,000 down on just one single game. So now, what happens when we have someone like this in the betting market? That pushes the line, because what a sportsbook wants to do, the casino, they want to have equal exposure on both sides. Because when you place a bet, your general bet that you're placing is $110 to win back 100 So you lose a little bit of cut to the house. So what the house is trying to do is have equal amount of money on both sides of the bet. Therefore, that they're just taking the cut and they have very little exposure to actually lose money on a game. Often, the betting line will move around so that no matter what happens in the game, the sportsbook is going to make about 10% of the total money bet on that game. doesn't matter the outcome because some people are on both sides. They're going to pay out half the bets, but they're going to take 10% from every better, and that's going to be their victory margin. So when a sharp comes in and bets these $10,000, $50,000 on one side, the sportsbook then needs to compensate and say, okay, well, now that they're at they wanted Philadelphia plus seven so bad, we actually need to move it down a little bit to now Philadelphia plus six. So that way, it's a less attractive bet, and more people think, oh, now the, the, now the Bucks are favored to win by only less than a touchdown. And so if they win by seven, I'll actually win the bet instead of tying the bet. Um, and I'll win if I have just a touchdown margin of victory. And now you get people trickling in to the other side. So the sharp side of the bet would have been that first one. And generally, when you're betting, you want to try and identify where the sharps are sitting at the tables so that you can be on the same side as them because they know what they're doing. Generally, the one point here or the one point there won't matter as much. What we can do is we can read certain lines and certain indicators in the sports book, things like the bet percentage versus the money percentage. I will explain that in a future episode. And you could say, wow, there's only 40% of bets on the Buccaneers, but 80% of the money is on the Buccaneers. That means the Sharps are on the Buccaneers. I, too, want to be on the Buccaneers. You know, I actually just flipped it where I used, let's, let's, let's flip that. I used the whole example as Eagles. So the Sharps are on the Eagles. I want to be on the Eagles, and I could see that because 40% of the bets are on the Eagles, but 80% of the money is on the Eagles. That means the people who are betting the bigger bucks are betting the Eagles, and therefore, I'd rather be on the Eagles because I'd rather be sitting at the table with the guys who have been doing this for big money for a long time. That makes sense. So, Was there a dollar? Ooh, yeah, quick question on that. Do most sports books show you uh, what the bet percentage so like what the population is versus the dollar value yes so there's a lot of websites that track this throughout different casinos so yeah there's a there's a website that i have a premium subscription to called the action network if anyone is hearing this and they don't have a subscription to the action network and they bet frequently i highly suggest it there's a few other sites that do this but right now if i go chris to actionnetwork.com and i look at the what's called the pro report and I go to today's NBA slate, I see currently right now that in the Lakers-Nuggets game that 
was played tonight. The Lakers lost. Um, 30% of bets were on the Lakers plus six, but 70% of the money was on Lakers plus six. So Lakers plus six would have been the sharp side for that game. If I go to the actual final results, Denver won by 11. So the Sharps ended up losing on that game. Understood. Does that all make sense? Yes. Rachel, what were you going to jump in and say? I was just going to ask if there's a dollar amount that makes you a sharp. Um, it's actually, that's a good question. It's probably more the casino who would identify, oh, this guy's starting to bet a lot of money pretty consistently. And they'd be like, okay, we want to make him a sharp. Each sports book has an amount of exposure that they're willing to take on where they would consider different levels of sharpness. Um, so obviously a book like Caesars or Span- FanDuel is going to have very high value sharps. These are going to be the people betting fifty to a hundred thousand dollars on a single game. There's other, you know, smaller market books that literally allow you max fifty dollars or even, you know, some like five thousand. So if you're betting five thousand consistently on those smaller books, they're going to consider you a sharp. Whereas if you're only betting five thousand on FanDuel, FanDuel might not. They might wait till you reach their bet limits. So I would say it's a good question, Rachel, but it probably has more to do with the bet limits per each casino and sports book. One more follow-up question. When you are a sharp, do you know you're a sharp? Like, are you identified as one? You generally know it yourself because of how much money you're throwing around there. Um, Yes, the casino might start tracking your accounts. Um, So there's a very famous NBA better who goes by the name of Bob Volgaris. He used to bet the NBA. I'm not sure he still does. He was so good that he was actually hired by the Dallas Mavericks to come in and and they were like, show us your secrets. Like, how do we use your betting information to now recruit the best players? Because if you could project who's going to win and you have all these models and systems, we want to know how you forecast ahead so we can get the winning players. And they went ahead and hired him. Uh, He ended up having like a huge fallout with the organization and it only lasted like two seasons. And I'm not sure if he's gone back to being a professional gambler, but someone like Bob Fulgaris was absolutely a sharp. Um, and he was probably labeled sharp when he started reaching the bet limits. Uh, and he's has YouTube talks. He's got, uh, he's on a few podcasts here and there. I highly suggest people go search out his work and just listen to the way he views the game. If you're very interested in NBA betting, like I am, he's an absolute genius. Um, he's betting limits everywhere he is so he's betting that five thousand dollars of the small sports books and the fifty thousand dollars of the big sports books um there's probably people who monitor his account and send him alerts to make him aware like hey we're deducting your max limit because we've labeled you as a sharp things like that happen and he openly complains about it i do remember watching a youtube talk where he was on the stage with the same person who then limited his account. And the only reason why he said he showed up for the conference was so that he could ask the other guy why he's doing that in front of a live audience because the guy's company and the guy's sports book that he represented says, we will take any bet size from any better. And he showed up to the conference saying, excuse me, what you're saying is very untrue because you only let me bet 5,000 and I'd like to bet 100,000. And he, he kind of caught the other guy red-handed and the guy was like, we're gonna keep you to 5,000. 
So if I wanted to go to that sports book, I could bet 100000 tomorrow. But someone like him, who's been labeled a sharp and who has been identified as a sharp, is set to a $5,000 limit. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. The sharps are someone. Pe- the sharps are the people to follow. Uh, in football, the biggest sharp is a guy named Warren Sharp. Completely, completely random that his last name happens to be Sharp. But the best football better goes by the name Warren Sharp, and he is certainly amongst the premier sharps himself. Might have been destiny. Let's talk about the next word. What'd you say, Chris? It might have been his destiny. You don't know. That's true. He's he also was hired by multiple NFL teams. And he has what's called a betting group. So I don't even think Warren Sharp bets with his own money, but he is given investments from other big time people who have large portfolios because he has a tracked record of returning an investment larger than, say, stock market returns. And so people invest in his gambling and then he pays out at the end of the season and he's essentially betting with other people's money to fund himself. Um, that's called a betting group. And he has very low exposure risk because he has, I think, 17 straight seasons of winning records. So he's incredible at football. Wow. Um, let's go to the next word. It's chalk. Wait, who got points? Um, I don't think either of you really knew. You guys both went with the sharp is the easy bet. So we're going to go no points there. 5-3 Rachel still. I just- I guess that's the. I figured I'd check. Yeah, that's a win for you because you want to keep going with no points. Um, <laughs> the next word is chalk, and I think we're at Chris. So, Chris, what do you think the word chalk means in a sports context? Yes. Sports betting context. Yes, chalk. I think is to just chalk it up as a loss. So taking a loss on your bet because you were an absolute idiot or something catastrophic happened in the game and you were incorrect. I've certainly heard that in sports a million times. Chalk it up as an L. Yeah. Um, Rachel, did you have anything else? Chalk, as you taught me, because we discussed this, is a significant favorite. I think you misunderstood me when we spoke, Rachel. Damn it. The second time. Isn't it like you're in the chalk? That's a good... So a chalk... Bet. Chalk in the betting term, in the betting world happens to refer to a very common bet that seems like, oh, that's like that's the smart bet right now. But in, a- in actuality, like 80% of the people are on it. So it's actually sucked out all the value. So it's like, oh, that bet's chalk now. And I, you don't necessarily need to play it because there's really no value left in it. Because when that line first came out, there was a lot of value in it, and everyone jumped on it. So then everyone was playing it, and then it became chalk. Um, so I guess I'm kind of confused it's how this favorite. word came to be. It's sometimes the favorite, but it's also sometimes the underdog. So say a sports book puts out a line, and they've kind of misinterpreted who they think the favorite really is. Say it's going to be a really close game, and... You know, the betting public actually thinks it's going to be Alabama that's going to win and not Ohio State. And the betting line comes out and Ohio State's the slight favorite. And everyone jumps on Alabama to the point where the line swings because we've talked about line movement and the line's going to move based on the way people are betting. So then the line is going to move and now Alabama's the favorite. And that's because so many people are on it that that play has become chalk. Essentially, it's was it used to hold a lot of value. And now it doesn't. 
if you think about this from a fantasy sports angle, Chris, do you do any fantasy sports? Uh, I have done fantasy football with work uh, colleagues, but not in a, a huge capacity. So if you play like a DraftKings or a FanDuel or one of those daily fantasy tournaments where you have uh, an allotted salary cap and you have to make a roster based on the salary cap and however they perform in real life, it will accumulate points and a score, which then gets attributed to your roster. And if your roster has enough total points in comparison to the other people you're playing against, you might win. So let me explain what chalk means in a fantasy sense. So say... um, the running back for the Eagles gets injured. And now they have a backup running back coming in. And on FanDuel, he has essentially the minimum salary because no one expected him to play. But he's actually going to play a lot. So everyone who's trying to find value and get guys for less money who might produce a lot, so then, oh, now I have more money to spend on quarterback and to get a guy like Tom Brady on my team – So if I save money elsewhere, I could spend more money in another position. So if the running back for the Eagles is like a really good value play that everyone ends up taking him, he might literally be played by 95% of the competition you're playing against. So really, you have no value in having him on your team because everyone has them on their team. And for that reason, that player on that particular day is chalk. Makes sense. Very similar to uh, we're doing fantasy F1 for Formula One right now. So they have the driver and team value uh, attributed to uh, each individual. Exactly. So like, so like say like Mercedes uh, had a driver. You know, we don't like Mercedes. I see Rachel shaking her head. <laughs> but I'm a big, Mer- I'm a big I-, I like Mercedes cars and I know they have an F1 team and that's the extent of my F1 knowledge. <laughs> So that I'm going to use Mercedes well, as my example. They're doing very poorly this year. So okay, well, say Mercedes, you know, got, you know, their their number one driver was out for that week, yeah. and they have this backup driver coming in. So everyone's going to want the Mercedes driver because he's really cheap because he's the backup, and now he's driving this week, and he might place and all, it might score points. And if you have the Mercedes driver, you can then go get Verstappen or someone like that. Um, yeah. So then you take the Mercedes driver. I'm not sure if this, this example makes any sense because I've never played Fantasy F1. But you would take the Mercedes driver so that you can have better drivers elsewhere. But then once you get to the competition, you realize 87% of people also have that Mercedes driver. And he is chalk. Yep. All right. Let's move on. Um, I think that was another no points, right? So we're at 5-3, Rachel, still? Yeah, that's correct. Yep. All right, the next one, I think this should get a tiny bit easier from now as I read the last five. Uh, This one's going back to Rachel. Rachel, what is a hedge when you're betting? Again, I'm going to go back to the stock market. You're taking an opposite position. You're betting against what everyone else is thinking is going to happen. Chris, to you? Uh... I think hers makes more sense. Uh, I had no idea whatsoever, so I put doubling down on a previous bet. Okay, so this one's definitely going to go Rachel. Yeah. Rachel, you, you, you yeah. do have that... Uh, what was the first sentence you said? Say that one more time. Um, like Was it that like taking the opposite approach? Exactly. Going against everyone else? So, this generally... 
So it's not actually going against everyone else. It's actually going against what you already have yourself. Um, let me explain this in context. It pretty much guarantees you become profitable based on a futures bet. That's how the word hedging comes into play. Remember we talked earlier this episode how I have the Eagles at 40 to 1 odds? Yeah. Yep. Cool. All right. So if the Eagles make the playoffs, they only have to play three or three games to reach the Super Bowl, four games to win the Super Bowl. So when the Eagles make the playoffs and I'm like, wow, I'm four games away from this ticket cashing at 40 to 1 odds. So say I put, you know, $100 on it, I'd be cashing out 4000 right? So what I'm going to do is I know I have $4,000 in my back pocket if the Eagles win the next four games, but I'm also going to lose 100 if they lose any of them. So on that first game, let me go put 700 on the team that the Eagles are playing against. So now if the Eagles lose, I will profit $600 because I will lose my original $100 that I put in on the future, but I will win that individual bet. If the Eagles win, I now have $3,300 on that futures ticket because I've hedged 700 off of it, but that ticket is still alive. And I'll go to the next round saying, okay, I'm going to play this game for $1,000 and I'm going to hedge it. So now I'm going to say, okay, if I win this one, I know I will make money back from the 700 and the 100 because I'll win 1000 as opposed to, you know, now if I lose, I could still win $2,000 and there, I have only put in 1500 So what you're doing is you're taking the opposite side of the bet that you already have and you already have really good value on so that you guarantee yourself a payout. Does that make sense? Yeah. So do you do that on every bet? I do it in some bets. Um, when we had Gibby on here last week, he talked about how he took Joel Embiid as his NBA MVP in the beginning of the season as a futures bet. And that was, I think, okay. six and a half to one odds. So he put $100 on it, and he was going to be paid out 650 if Joel Embiid won the MVP. Well, the season's played on, and Joel is one of three players who is going to win this award. Like, he is right there. He's very well about to win it. It's going to be decided in about two weeks. And it's kind of between him and two other players. And when we had Gibby on the show, Joel Embiid was actually the favorite. So he could then put a little bit of money on the two other candidates. And he's gotten himself into a position where no matter who wins out of these three, because he had that one that do really well and he put a good enough, uh, enough money on it in the beginning, if that one wins or the other two wins, he's going to win money regardless because he hedged his bet. It's a little bit complicated. It's a lot easier to explain when you have it out with different examples and formulas and odds to calculate it all. But the basic premise is to lock in yourself a profit based on a guaranteed payout of a futures bet. Makes sense. Gibby's a wise man. So, um, Rachel, we're going to give you also another one point there. A little 6-3 lead as we head down the home stretch. Let's take a... We're making our way to Chick-fil-A, dear. <laughs> we're going up. Let's take a quick one-minute break. I hear my dog barking, so I want to open the door. And I will be right back. Our next word is parlay. Be right back. Okay. 
Sorry, I heard Bronnie crying. I didn't know if you could hear in my microphone. No. No, we couldn't. All right. I just went to find Zosie because we didn't know where she was. Yeah, so. it's always, they're always up to no good when you don't know where they are. She was in bed <laughs> sleeping on Chris's pillow. So. so not up to no good. Okay. Welcome back. I've now opened the door and let my dog out. For those who don't know, she's named Bronnie after the King LeBron James. So I have a girl dog named LeBron. Um, to our next word, it is parlay, and we are throwing this to Rachel. Rachel, if you were going to make a parlay bet tonight, what would that look like? I have no idea. So I said it has something to do with some point differentials, but I really don't know what a parlay is. Chris, if you were going to make a parlay bet tonight, what would it look like? I would be betting on multiple games. Yes. Do you want to continue? You're, you're, yes. Is there anything else? So uh, this is one of the few terms that I've actually heard, but I'll admit I don't know the true definition of, so I'll be learning something today. But uh, if there was an NBA game on, an NHL game on, and you bet on several games, but they all need to come true for the payout to happen and the odds kind of multiply on each other. Absolutely nailed it. Yeah. So, a parlay, I just wanted you to get to that point where you said a multiple bets where they're all on the same betting ticket, um, and therefore they all need to win, and I can't even believe you went there. You used one of the bonus words, which is a multiplier, which is exactly <laughs> the word that correlates to playing parlays. When you play a parlay, so let's say I had, um, let's use the final four of last night, say I took... UNC, uh, say I took um, UNC plus four, which won, and I took Kansas minus four, which won, and I had both of those bets for one unit. You need both of them to come true, which they did, and the payout, instead of winning both bets for one unit and getting two units, because you said, I need both of these to win in order to win the bet, you would actually get 2.6 units back. So that you get an extra plus 0.6 units on that multiplier. That only applies to a two-leg parlay with standard betting odds. So based on the the odds, based on the spread, based on the, the favorite and how it's all shaking out and the exposure that a sportsbook has, you can pair together certain lines. And there are certain multipliers and certain ways to calculate the odds that say if all of these bets win, you will get a multiplied payout larger than if you just took all of these as straight up bets. So Chris, that is certainly um, two points for the definition and one for using it in a sentence. We are at a tie ball Ooh. game of six to six. Yeah. Kind of had a parlay on that yeah, one. Yeah, it was. <laughs> <Catch your> parlay <laughs> ticket right there. It's my shining moment okay, of this Rachel. podcast. <laughs> it's a perf perfect terminology for a Final Four weekend. One shining moment. Yeah. Um, okay, Rachel, what does the next word or the next phrase mean? Taking the plus money. I went out on a limb here. I said that you're betting extra by using points or over, under, or something else to increase the value of your bet and your return. 
kind of understand what you're saying, but Chris, do you have a different uh, definition for taking the plus money? I have a different guess. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, so <laughs> if you were mid-game and say it's it's halftime, you bet that you know your team is going to win and it was trending in that direction that you can close a bet before the final point of a game like a cash out feature like a cash out for like half of what the over or, or of what the odds would have been so if you would have and won at that point you just you just take your plus money and you say okay i'll, I'll take that now right you take that instead of riding very, it out yeah it's a very literal uh definition but not so on point okay but i i very much see where you were going rachel also not totally correct for you I was going to give you a hint and think, how do we correlate this with underdog? The term take the plus money, as I will say very often on here, the reason why I put it on this list is because I've said it in multiple podcasts already. Um, Taking the plus money simply means better than one to one odds. So it's any bet that I would make that for every $1 I would put in, I would get more than $1 back. Um, So... For example, a few weeks ago, I had Tyler on the podcast, and we discussed the bet of whether or not the AFC North, one of the div- one of the divisions in the NFL, was going to win more games than the AFC West. So if you add up the four teams in the division, at the end of the season, you calculate this team won nine games, this team won eight games, this team won eight games, and this team won ten games. You'd get 27, and you take the other division, and it's 8-8-8-8, eight, 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 and you'd be like, oh, that team won 24. So the team with 27 won more games than the team with 20. When then the division with 24 wins, I took the bet and said I'm gonna take the bet with plus money, and I said give me the odds that said it was plus 160. So for every dollar I bet, I got a dollar and 60 back. So if I bet a hundred dollars, I would have won 160, and my total return would have been 260 because I get back my also my original 100 dollars. So when you say you're going to take the plus money, you're kind of saying, I'm on the underdog on this one. You're saying, I'm on the thing that's less expected to happen. Understood. You've definitely said that. I've definitely heard that. And people have definitely asked that. And that's why it made the list. Hey, Mike, what does taking the plus money mean? I'm like, oh, I'll throw that on the game show. On the flip side of that, Chris, what do you think laying the juice means? Well, if it is the opposite, then that's one thing. But I had it as kind of going all in and betting like the vast majority of what your account might have in it on an individual bet. You will never, ever, 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 ever. Did I say ever? Never, ever? You will never, ever, (laughs) ever hear me recommend to anyone to ever put more than three units on a single bet. For me, going all in does not exist unless I'm sitting at a poker table and I'm about to be done for the night. Um, In sports betting world, I personally limit my exposure to under 4%. Again, three units would be 3.75. Under 4% of my total account, I would never want to have a situation where I feel like I'm all in on a sporting event. Rachel, did you have a different definition for laying the juice? Nothing of value. I just thought, you know, 
that would be like a compliment of sorts. Like, good job, bud. You laid the juice. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> nope, we want to include that. So, so laying the juice. <laughs> that's my mind was. Laying the juice is kind of like the opposite of taking the plus money. So say we had the um, Milwaukee Bucks, which is one of the best teams in the NBA, playing against the Indiana Pacers, one of the worst teams in the NBA. They'd probably be 10 to 1 favorites, meaning you'd have to uh, bet $10,000 to win 100. If you went ahead and made that bet, you're like, nah, I'm still going to put $1,000 just to win 100. You're laying the juice. Does that make sense? Yes. Sure does. Um, all right. And the, are we at 6-6 six, six going into the final word? I think we are. Wow, this couldn't be better. Guys. Okay, but yep. if there's a tie, one of us gets dinner and the other gets ice cream, okay? Fair. <laughs> this is great cordial coupling on the Advantage Pod. It's part sports betting and it's part couples therapy. <laughs> All right. Take, take this advice from uh, a couple that's shining brightly on the stage. Okay. Um, as we go into our last word, we have a 6-6 six, six tie. Not going to say anything that gives away any hints. I think we're back to Rachel. Rachel, for all the glory, what does the word push mean in betting? I mean, I wrote that it's like doubling down and really going all in on a bet. You're pushing to see it through, but... I'm going to cut you off right there. I'm going to cut you off. Based on what I just said... That I never, ever, 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 ever consider going all in. Take 30 seconds to try and come up with a new definition for push. As we throw this to Chris, Chris, what do you think the word push means in sports betting? Yeah, I think I, I think I have this one. Uh, I wrote tweeting at professional athletes so they know how broke you'll be if you mess up their bets. <laughs> Is that pushing them? Absolutely love it. <laughs> you push those buttons, those Twitter fingers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm gonna guess so no. Let me explain. Let, let me explain what push means. It's actually very fitting to right now, and I almost ruined it. A push is simply a tie. So if I had that Bucks minus seven, and the Bucks ended up winning by seven, I don't win the bet. I don't lose the bet. That bet pushes, because if you think about it. Like, like we were explaining, if you have a point spread and you have bucks minus seven, you need them to win by seven points, or you can deduct seven points at the end of the game and then calculate who wins. So if the bucks won 35 to 28 and you have bucks minus seven, you actually have it as 28 28. That is a tie. You do not win, you do not lose, you push. Like we have a 6 6 in the betting terminology game show, we have a push between Chris and and Rachel. Side question. Does the sports yep. book still take 10% of your money? No, they will they give you back your original bet. So if you bet $110 to win 100 and your bet pushes, you just get your 110 back. Gotcha. That's a really good question, Chris. Sorry, I'm over here being disappointed that we tied, but that's okay. Well, that just means we're going to have to come up with a few extra words. <laughs> And come back to this in a few weeks for the tiebreaker. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much for taking the time to be here today. I really appreciate it. Um, you guys have been great fans of the pod. 
uh, been a helpful resource in kind of asking me questions along the way, that it was only fitting that we could get us all together and take, you know, an hour to clear up some terminology, which hopefully helps some of our audience as well. For sure. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Chris. I think I'm going to see you guys in like a month. Is that right? You guys are coming to visit me in Boston? Yes. We are. Is your dog coming too? No, unfortunately not, because we now have three dogs and a cat. So it would be a little challenging to move the herd from Colorado to Boston, but maybe one day. Have you guys seen Secret Life of Pets? Yeah. Yes. That was the animated one, right? Yeah. What do you think they're going to do while you're gone? <laughs> oh, they live Definitely going to be the poodle headbanging to metal music. The, my favorite <laughs> that's sophia my favorite part of that movie is uh i think like one of the the owners just steps out for the day and the dog goes to the front doors goes i got big plans today big plans big plans big big big, big plans <laughs> and then like the, one of the other animals is like what are you doing i'm just gonna sit here and wait for the owner to come home <laughs> <laughs> we have a big bay window and so they all sit and wait and watch i call that dog tv when uh Ronnie can watch out the window and, and see streets, and then she'll run from one window to the other window for no apparent reason. It's not like a car drove by and went to the other window, and I'm just like, oh, she changed the channel. <laughs> <laughs> Sophia alerts the other ones, and then everyone starts barking. So, so we uh, didn't have sports betting as our common interest, but if you guys can see, we certainly had our love for animals. <laughs> You ask me dog trivia, and I'll kick his ass out of the park, <laughs> but, you know. Heel, heel. Yeah. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, thanks again, and I can't wait to see you soon. It's been way too long. All right. Thanks. It has. Thanks, Mike. Okay. Time for principles of bankroll management. Let's just take a few minutes. I know it's been a longer episode, so let's get straight to it. Here are my three biggest principles of bankroll management. One, one unit equals 1.2% of my total bankroll. Let's explain this with the idea of having $500 in your bankroll in your betting account. If one unit is 1.2%, that means your average bet size is $6.60 to win $6. That equates to 1.1 units to win one. If your account is profitable, you can choose to always adjust your unit to exactly 1.2 of your bankroll. This way, as you win, your bets get larger, and if your win percentage is consistent, you will over time make more money faster because your bet size is larger. If your account is not profitable, if you've lost money, I recommend keeping your bet size at 1.2% of your original bankroll. So I wouldn't start going and betting $4. I would stay at that $6.60 in perpetuity if you're in the red. If you extrapolate that math, it allows you to lose 80 units before your account hits zero. Hopefully that doesn't happen. But if you do lose 80 units, it's going to take a really long time. And at that point, if you're down 80 units, I'd honestly question if you should continue sports betting. My second rule is no game should ever expose you beyond 4% of your account. I never play more than three units, which for me is 3.6% of my account. I do not believe in the idea of going on a heater 
even exists in sports betting like others say it does at a blackjack table. Just because you've been doing well lately, it should not give you the confidence to just double your bet and double your exposure just because it feels right. That's when we're just straight up gambling, not treating it like an investment portfolio as I do. The third and final principle is some advice for the times where you feel like, wow, I think I have a really good feel for this game and I want to bet the three units on this. Or, wow, I really like that money line at plus 360 on a basketball game and that point spread is 8.5 and I really want to play one unit on that plus 360. Here's how I play those situations. When I love a money line dog, let's start with that second example. When I love a money line dog and the point spread is like eight and a half, like it is in this example, I will split my bet and play some on the spread with those minus 110 odds at the plus eight and a half points. And some of my bet will be on the money line at that bigger plus money. This allows me to do a few things. If the underdog I like doesn't win, but keeps it close and barely loses, then I will have had a pretty good read on the game and I actually won't lose any money. Say they lose by three points, I will win the point spread bet and lose the money line bet and have a net zero impact on my bankroll. However, if I do nail it, I have given myself some exposure to that nice plus money odds that exist. In this case, if I split my bet evenly, half a unit on the spread, half a unit on the money line, I'd net half a unit from the point spread and another 1.8 units from the money line for a combined plus 2.3 units. You can still see how I get a nice boost, winning 2.3 from betting one unit, but I'm not all in with these plus 360 odds. That is how I play money line dogs that I really like. The most recent time I did this was taking the Kings plus six and the Kings plus 195 money line versus the Pacers in mid-March. You guys know I love fading the Pacers. The Kings won that game by one, and I returned 1.48 units on my one-unit bet. I lost a little juice on the plus money, but I covered myself and limited my overall exposure in the right way. Next example is when you feel like, wow, I love this line, and I want to lay those full three units on it. Instead of just going all in and putting three units on the point spread, throw two units there and one unit on the game total. My thinking going into that Kings-Pacers game was, okay, all the stars are going to be sitting. It was going to be young backups playing against each other. These guys aren't as good, which means less shot making. They will also be playing hard to prove themselves, which means more effort on defense, which also means less shot making. Taking all of these factors, go with two units on the Kings and another unit on the under. That way, you reach the full limit of exposure, but you also diversify your plays. If you nail the read, you'll still win three units. But if you aren't spot on, you don't necessarily lose all three units either. You could lose two units on the point spread and still win that one on the under, and you'd only be down one unit instead of being down three. These things really matter, and they really add up over time. In order to be a successful gambler, you need to know how to manage your bankroll properly and have the correct level of exposure on certain games. If you do that, your chances of being profitable just went up a lot.
Okay, that's enough for today. I really hope it all helped. I'll be back later this week with a Memphis Grizzlies focus pod. See you guys soon. Don't be the